Chapter 47 of A Year's Prayer Meeting Talks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Year's Prayer Meeting Talks by Lewis Albert Banks. Chapter 47 The Taming of the Greatest Shrew in the World. James Chapter 3 That is a very strong statement which St. James makes. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. He goes on to explain a little by assuring us that a man who is able to control his tongue and completely master that nervous little member is able to bridle the whole body. The argument which he makes and the illustrations which he uses are all very strong and graphic. I think no one can turn away from reading this chapter without agreeing with me that the tongue is undoubtedly the greatest shrew in the world, and that the taming of the tongue is the mightiest work to which Jesus Christ has set himself. One of the greatest lessons we have to learn in the school of Christ, when seeking to come into mastery of the tongue, is the value of holding our tongue on many occasions and not saying anything. We are told that a wise philosopher of ancient times bound his scholars to silence for five years that they might not use their tongues till they knew how to govern them, nor speak until they had something to say. It is said that a young man once went to Socrates to learn oratory. On being introduced to the philosopher, he talked so incessantly that Socrates asked for double fees. Why charge me double? asked the young fellow. Because, replied the orator, I must teach you two sciences, the one how to hold your tongue and the other how to speak. It is often harder to teach a man how to keep still in the proper place than it is to teach him to speak prudently when he breaks silence. These illustrations that St. James uses are very searching. He compares certain kinds of words to fire. It takes but a little spark from a match to start a fire in dry tinder, but when once it is started and the wind catches it and begins to fan it, who can tell where it will stop? So the fire of an unkind word, or a jealous word, or a slanderous word, which starts up gossip, or bids suspicion, or hate lurk and smolder in the chamber of the heart, when once the winds of the imagination begin to fan the flames, may spread through a family, or indeed a whole community, charring and blackening and destroying the peace and quiet and faith. It may be of hundreds or thousands of people." Such a result often comes from a single malicious sentence spoken spitefully and perhaps afterward forgotten by the one who started it, like the man who lights his campfire in the woods and goes away carelessly, leaving the smoldering log to set the greatest forest on fire behind him, to burn down or blight ten thousand giant trees, so the baleful fire from a reckless sentence goes smoldering on until... Fanned into venomous flame, it despoils and blights far beyond the thought or purpose of the reckless tongue that started it. A little word of temptation, tempting another to do what his conscience rebukes him for, is like the Roman soldier's torch flung into the holiest of all, which burned the sacred temple to the ground in the days of Titus. It burns down the whole temple of a fair young life. St. James is not the only man in the Bible who warns of the danger of a tongue unbridled and uncontrolled. Job called the tongue a scourge, or a whip by which severe wounds are made on the character and which leaves its great purple welts on the lacerated peace and reputation. Jeremiah says the tongue is like an arrow shot out. 
David compares the tongue to a sharp sword. St. Paul, speaking of the lips through which the tongue speaks, says of people of unclean conversation that the poison of asps is under their lips. Paul must have had the same thought in his mind that stirred St. James when he said that the tongue is full of deadly poison. Christ is the only one who can tame the tongue. He does it by cleansing the heart. When that poor demon-possessed man of Gadara had the devils cast out of him, he needed no more taming. No man had been able to tame him before. But when the evil spirits were gone, he came to his right mind and went away to glorify God among all the people who knew him. In order to have the soft answer that turneth away wrath, we must have the gentleness of heart which will make us quick to forgive and slow to wrath. Perhaps no one knows how much good he may do in this world by turning away the wrath and strife of others on occasion by gentle and tactful conversation. The habit of restraint in speech was admirably illustrated by Lord Palmerston at the Cutler's Feast in Sheffield at the time of the great struggle between the North and the South in the United States. A noted politician who was present had made a violent speech urging England to side with the South. It was Lord Palmerston's place to reply, and a word from him might have kindled the flames of war. He arose, and every eye was fixed on him. What he said, however, was merely, I beg to propose a toast. The ladies. The fire died out, and the reaction was toward peace. Almost every day one has an opportunity with a few words to either fan strife into a flame or quell it by the tactful use of gentle Christian speech. Let us put our tongues into the hands of the great tamer. If we do so, he will incite us to kind words that will awake a train of gentle influence which will tell everywhere for peace and comfort. End of chapter 47